0: The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem in the state capital since 1851. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this edition, we're traveling to the Wallawa Mountains, a range known for its rugged wilderness and cultivated art scene. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. On the far side of Oregon, there rises a titanic range of mountains. They're called the Wallowas, and in a state dominated by rainforest, volcanoes, and ocean beaches, they offer something completely different. It's a true Alpine experience here. Row upon row of mountains so striking, they're nicknamed the Oregon Alps. But the Wallowas offer far more than wilderness. It's a place home to idyllic small towns with a thriving art scene and restaurant culture. It's a place open to everyone that specializes in combining the mild and the wild.
1: In this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast, we'll travel to the tourist hotspots and the wilderness hideaways of the Wallowa. We'll talk about the mountain town of Joseph, go fishing in Wallowa Lake, and venture into the vast Eagle Cap wilderness.
0: All right, David, so let's talk about traveling to the Wallowa Mountains. Long drive, so if you're taking out your big map of Oregon, pulling it out, where exactly are we going?
1: All right, we're headed to the extreme northeast corner of Oregon, almost to the border with Idaho. The closest city is La Grande, but we're going to focus on the area about an hour away, centered on the small town of Joseph and Wallowa Lake.
0: Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, including where to stay, where to eat, and some of the best adventures.
1: But let's start, as always, with this simple question. Why go? Zach, this is a pretty long drive from kind of the population centers. We've got the Cascades and the Coast Range right in our backyard. Do we really need more mountains in our lives?
0: Yeah, I think we, we need more mountains. You always need more mountains. You cannot have enough mountains in your life. But even in a state with a lot of big peaks, the Willows stand out because they have the best collection of tall mountains in one place think about the Cascades. It's one volcano, forest, 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 one volcano. Here, it's more like the Rocky Mountains. It's just peak upon peak upon peak. And so you get that great high country experience. When people email me and they, they ask, you know, what's the best place to really get lost in the mountains? I'm always going to say the wallawas. They're just kind of the best for that backpacking experience.
1: But really, it's more than just wilderness. There are a lot of different experiences possible here. And you've written a lot about how this area does a pretty good job offering multiple experiences. Can you tell us how that works?
0: Yeah, the thing that I love most about the Willows is that they offer something for everyone. So it's a place you can bring grandma, grandpa, the kids, but also your crazy mountain climbing buddy and everyone's gonna have a good time. And that's just because you've got all these different experiences. You've got the easy in town experience. You've got the medium level adventures that are fun, but not super difficult. And then there's the real wilderness backcountry, and it's all right there in one place. For example, one of my favorite days in the Wallawas was waking up really early in the morning and climbing Chief Joseph Mountain. So that's a 9,600-foot peak, you know, major undertaking. And then I came down, and that same afternoon, I played mini-golf with my nephews. (laughs) Now, granted, you know, putting was a little bit difficult because my legs felt like jelly, but it's still kind of amazing that you can do those two things in basically one day.
1: All right, let's dive a little deeper into getting the most out of a trip here. The first thing we should talk about is the drive. It's an important part of the experience, given that it's five to six hours. Yeah, most of the drive is just
0: a sprint out Interstate 84 east of Portland, through the gorge, into the high desert. We try to get started pretty early just to avoid that terrible Portland traffic and make it to Hood River for breakfast. They got a great little place called Egg River that we love. Our second stop is Riverside Park in La Grande. And it's just a good place to stretch the legs, let the kids and dog run around before that final sprint.
1: Yeah, and Lagrand is probably your last place to kind of supply up, right? Yeah. And then after lagrand you're going to go ahead and start driving into the Wallawa Valley. There's too much good stuff to kind of name it all, so we're going to focus on one particular region there, the mountain town of Joseph, Wallowa Lake State Park, and the Eagle Cap Wilderness.
0: Yep, we're just going to focus on the area primarily around Wallowa Lake. And one of the things I love about this is that yeah, it's a long drive. You're in the car for a long time that first day, but once you get there, you don't have to travel much. I mean, the hikes, the fishing, the camping, it's all right there.
1: Okay, let's get into some details. If you're planning a trip, when do you wanna head over? What's the ideal time to visit?
0: So that depends kind of on what you wanna do. So I've got I've got two answers. If you're coming to camp, to day hike and to fish, and without getting into the high Alpine country, I really like coming here in late May or early June. That's when the fishing is best, and there's still plenty of hikes and attractions open, but it's also not super crowded yet. So late May, early June, good family-friendly time. If you want to experience the high country, though, you know, backpacking into the high mountains, my pick is probably late July. It's usually pretty melted out by that point, so you're not getting blocked by big snow drifts. Hopefully the wildflowers are in bloom because when you hit that moment where, you know, the creeks are rolling, the wildflowers are in bloom, but the snow is mostly melted, that's when it's
1: ideal. All right. Now let's talk about base camp. This isn't really a place where you're going to do a one-day trip. So what are your options for spending the night? So just like I talked
0: about there being kind of three different levels of experience here, it, it applies here. There's kind of easy, medium, and more rugged. And the first, the easiest one, is the resort and vacation rental options around Wallawa Lake and Joseph. I've seen cabins at the lake starting at 85 bucks per night. Pretty good deal. The second level is gonna be Wallawa Lake State Park. Classic state park experience. It's got showers, bathroom, camp store, not super wild, and the mini golf and playgrounds are right there. Nice spot for an RV or a tent. Finally, the more rugged side, there are numerous Forest Service campgrounds that are kind of hidden around the edges of the mountains. My favorite place is the Lostine River Canyon, a bunch of fun little campsites along the river, right close to the uh, wilderness trailheads.
1: So now we're gonna go ahead and dive into the best things to do, adventures on both the mild and the wild side. Let's start off with the most obvious adventure. Zach, what's the place you're just not gonna miss if you travel to the Willow Mountains?
0: Well, the first thing that grabs your attention when you arrive, when you've been in the car for six hours, you know, you're sick of it, and you pull up and all of a sudden you see this big blue lake spread out before you below 9,000-foot mountains. There's people taking selfies on the side of the road. It's the moment you really know that you've arrived and you have reached Wallawa Lake.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much the postcard spot of the Wallowa Mountains, that place that everyone stops and are just kind of like, we're finally here. <laughs> But as beautiful as the lake looks from the banks, one of the more intriguing things about Wallowa Lake is what's swimming right below the surface. The lake is famous for a specific type of fish.
0: Yeah, if we're going to talk about Wallowa Lake, we have to start off by talking about kokanee. They are a naturally landlocked sockeye salmon. And the love for kokanee among some anglers is so fanatical that my buddy Henry Hughes likes to refer to them as cokeheads. And for the cokeheads, Wallawa Lake is sacred <laughs> territory. Like the kokanee are large and bountiful here. Recent estimates put their numbers at close to 1 million fish. And I actually get that enthusiasm. Last year I started dabbling in the dangerous world of the cokeheads because they just make such delicious eating. You know, when when you catch a trout and you get this kind of mealy, pale white meat, that's fine. You know, put some seasoning on, it's pretty good. But when you catch a kokanee and you clean it, it has this beautiful red meat that really does remind you of a salmon, and it tastes pretty good.
1: Yeah, Willala Lake actually made national news in the 2000s because of the number of gigantic kokanee people were pulling out of the lake. In 2010, the world record kokanee was caught here. It was a 9-pound, 10-ounce monster caught by this guy named Ron Campbell.
0: And Ron was a classic cokehead, you know, one of these crusty old guys in their 70s fishing from a big boat. He talked about hauling in this monster of a fish, but it's fun to see the picture of it because it really looks like a normal like ocean going salmon. It's pretty crazy. You don't see kokanee that size very often, obviously.
1: Okay. So how do people usually fish for them? Is there options from the bank or do you really need a boat for this?
0: I'm not going to say you can't fish from them from the bank. I think if you go to Wallawa Lake Marina, they'll give you some options there. But by and large, Almost everybody that does it seriously does it from a boat. That's how I've always done it. And it's usually with a pretty good setup like a down rigger where you're trolling this very specific depth. I mean, the Cokeheads are, are kind of famous for, you know, having like space age technology on their boats that lets them target these pods of fish. And it's kind of funny, you'll come to a boat ramp and people will yell out like, 60 feet, or like 80 feet. And that's just like the, the depth where you're catching the kokanee. So it, it takes some targeting.
1: And if you're not into fishing, you can still enjoy the kokanee run there. In fall, they spawn in huge numbers into the Wallala River. And it's quite a sight. You can actually check this out on YouTube. All the fish turn this amazing bright red color. Yeah,
0: it's a really cool scene. Just masses of these bright red fish swimming up streams. I mean, it's, it's almost reason enough to come here in the fall.
1: So beyond the Kokanee, what are some other good things to do at Walla Lake?
0: Yeah, beyond that, I mean, it's just kind of that normal scenic lakeside experience. It's it's fairly cold, so when I do it, I like to have a stand-up paddleboard or a kayak. So that way you can kind of explore around the lake's edges and jump in occasionally, freeze your butt off, and then jump back out. But, you know, there's beaches, pretty good laid-back scene there.
1: And for a stand-up paddleboard, you can rent that there, right?
0: Yeah, there's places to rent stand-up paddle boards, kayaks. The Wallowa Lake Marina, they got you covered. They, they don't rent pontoon boats. They rent just about everything.
1: All right, let's now move on to the most unique thing to do in the Wallowa Mountains.
0: All right, so to set up the most unique thing in the Wallawas, I want to ask you, David, a couple of questions. Go for it. So you have rode a bike, correct? A few times, yes. And you've been on a train? Also a few times, yes. So you bring those two things together, and you have the Joseph Branch rail riders. So we've got here basically pedal-powered carts that ride on railroad tracks. So what happens is four people sit on each cart, and basically you just pedal down the track through this really scenic country below mountains, along rivers. Don't worry, they're decommissioned railroad tracks, so you're not going to get run over by a big train.
1: All right, so how does this work? Do we need a reservation? Is it a guided tour?
0: So basically, you buy tickets at the rail rider office in downtown Joseph. And from their little hub, that's where you get on your rail rider with another group of people. So you form kind of a little convoy. Then you all head off together, traveling in one direction. Once you reach your destination, turn you around and head back.
1: So to give you a little taste about what we're talking about, here's some audio from an episode on rail riders by Oregon Field Guide on OPB. This thing... It's like a train. Tum, 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 tum. It goes ten miles an hour through the canyon. You've got a 360 panorama. There's no diesel smell. You've got fresh air. You've got all the senses being utilized. Between the people and the critters and the scenery. I don't get tired of it. This is so fun! And when you can have somebody having fun, life is good. I want to do it again. So the voice you're hearing there is Kim. He with his partner, Anita Meltlin are the couple behind the business. They're longtime cycling advocates in Eastern Oregon. After selling a bike shop they own in La Grande, they turn their attention to this unused section of railroad. They borrowed the concept from a similar operation on the East Coast, and Kim actually developed the railroader carts, along with a little bit of help from some area businesses. The operation began with a soft launch in 2014.
0: And it's turned out to be a hit. The, the rail riders have been featured by just about every media outlet in Oregon because it's this fun, novel way to enjoy a beautiful place. And there's this really Oregonian thing going on here, taking something that's unused and, and finding a use for it. The owner, Kim, who you talked about there, man, he's he's a character, and I've, I've interviewed him a couple times. And he always makes sure to blame the media for not allowing him to retire because these rail riders have just become so popular.
1: All right, we've talked about some pretty mild adventures so far. We're gonna go ahead and crank it up a little bit and talk about getting into the famed backcountry of the Eagle Cap Wilderness.
0: All right, yeah, let's dive in and talk about the Eagle Cap a little bit. So it's Oregon's largest federal wilderness area at 360,000 acres. That's a huge area that's totally rugged, so there's no roads, there's no way to get in except for hiking and horseback riding. The backstory here is pretty fun. So the Eagle Cap was one of the first places in Oregon to have this really strong environmental protection. So it was basically a wilderness-level protection back into the 1930s and 40s. I mean, that's, that's kind of unusual.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting, considering what was happening at the time, I'm surprised this area didn't become a national park. We've talked about it before, but there are a lot of places in Oregon that you could very easily see becoming national parks, and the Willows seem like one of the more obvious.
0: Yeah, I mean that's just not how things ended up going in Oregon. I mean, we placed a premium on protecting these iconic landscapes, kind of as they are, and so what you see is instead of having you know roads back into the mountains, you know, you have hiking trails. And it's a great thing for people like me who love that backpacking experience, but, you know, there's a trade-off. You don't get as much access as you would at a national park.
1: All right, so given the size, this is a huge area. What do we need to think about before planning a trip here?
0: Yeah, so again, the downside to having that big, glorious wilderness is that, you know, it takes a lot of work to reach the really good stuff. Most of the alpine lakes here require a major undertaking, long, steep hikes with a 40-pound pack on your back. The key is to really research your trip and base your decision on the amount of time you have, but also on your fitness. I mean, if you get in over your head, you can really hate life pretty quick out there.
1: So give us an example. What's a really great three day trip? Something pretty ambitious.
0: So I'm going to start off with what's ultimately my favorite trip in the Eagle Cap. And it's a three day trek to Ice Lake, followed by a scramble climb of the Matterhorn.
1: So you mentioned in the intro that the Wallawas are nicknamed the Oregon Alps. So this has to be a nod to the more famous Matterhorn, right?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you've never seen the Matterhorn in the Swiss Alps, do yourself a favor right now and do a quick Google search. It's really something. The Matterhorn here isn't quite on that level, but it's still pretty stunning from a distance. It's almost 10,000 feet tall, and it's this bright white limestone that just rises above everything around it. One of the funny things is that they've had a lot of trouble over the years deciding what the tallest peak in the Wallowas actually is. So at first, it was this peak called Eagle Cap, hence the name of the wilderness. Then people decided it had to be the Matterhorn, and now it's ended up being a peak nearby called Sacagawea. Um, that's actually the tallest. All right, so take us through the trip a little bit. So the trip starts out at Wallowa Lake Trailhead, so right in the area we've been talking about. You follow the West Fork Wallowa River for a while, and then you branch off and go up and up and up some more. Then there's some nice waterfall views, and then you keep going up until you reach Ice Lake. It's a frigid lake, almost 8,000 feet high. Pretty tough first day, but once you reach this multicolored basin, feel pretty
1: good about life. So I'm assuming you go ahead and make camp at Ice Lake. Then you talked about a scrambled climb. What do you mean by that? So a
0: scramble climb just means you're no longer on an official trail. It usually means navigating or traversing to reach a mountaintop, but you don't need ropes or technical ability. So in this case, you wake up in the morning at Ice Lake. You follow an unofficial trail into the high country toward the Matterhorn. So you're climbing past wildflower meadows, alpine lakes, and into the stark white limestone mountains. The summit of the Matterhorn is something else. It's just this long white ramp, like, above the whole world with just row upon row of mountains spreading out all around you. It's like nothing else in Oregon. It's one of my bucket list trips. And again, nothing too scary. You don't need ropes. There's no really steep pitches.
1: So you mentioned it's the second tallest mountain in the Wallawas, but the tallest one is right next door, right?
0: Yeah, a lot of people do combine the Matterhorn with Sacagawea. I was actually going to do that, but a giant thunderstorm rolled in, and so we had to, had to scale it back a little bit. But if you want to combine the two of them, again, not too technical, just need some, some good fitness level.
1: All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we get back, we'll talk about the namesake and history of this region and feature a way to reach the top of an 8,000-foot mountain without even breaking a sweat. We hope you're enjoying the Explore Oregon podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to support our efforts to bring even more great stories from Oregon's outdoors, consider a digital subscription to the Statesman Journal. Not only do you get access to the best in outdoor adventures, there's all the news, sports, and entertainment stories from Oregon's capital and the Willamette Valley. Head on over to statesmanjournal.com slash subscribe to learn more. Okay, welcome back. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk about an easy way to reach 8,000 feet, the best places to grab some food, and two of the best backpacking trips in the state of Oregon, according to Zach Ernest. It's true. But we'll start, as we always do in the second half, with a story about the area.
0: Okay, so it's impossible to talk or think about the Wallawa Mountains without considering the history. It's everywhere here, from the name of the town to the name of the mountains to the biggest local festival. Almost everything in this area carries the name Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce. They lived here for a millennia. The word Wallowa actually means land of running waters in the language of the Nez Perce. Unfortunately, the story follows a common theme in American history, one of repeated broken promises and a people being forced out of their homeland.
1: Before he became Chief Joseph, a nationally known icon, He was thunder rolling in the mountains, son of the chief. His father, Joseph the Elder, was one of the first Christian converts of the Nez Perce and advocated peace with white settlers who started arriving in the 1800s.
0: You can actually visit the gravesite of Joseph the Elder. It's on the north side of Olawa Lake. And I think it's important to note that historically, the Nez Perce had a very good relationship with the new arrivals. As As a tribe, they were critical in helping out Lewis and Clark on their journey to the Pacific. So... Early on, there was some hope for a real
1: lasting peace. In 1855, father and son attended a treaty council hosted by the territorial governor. The gathered chiefs were convinced by the governor that the only way to halt the arrival of more settlers would be to sign a treaty creating a reservation. Joseph the Elder signed on because the proposed reservation was set to include the Wallala Valley and stretch from Oregon on into Idaho.
0: Yeah, they saw it as, you know, not the perfect scenario, but a good enough deal. It allowed them to stay in their homeland. That was always the key. And to have some real agency on what happened
1: there. But everything changed following a gold rush in 1863 that brought fortune-seeking miners to the Blue Mountains. The federal government did little to enforce the treaty and eventually proposed a vastly reduced reservation that would no longer include the Wallala Valley. Before his death in 1871, Joseph the Elder told his son, when you go into council with the white man, always remember your country. Do not give it away.
0: But that became a very difficult promise to keep. Eventually, the young chief found himself with this impossible decision, risk all-out warfare with the United States Army or give up the homeland. It led to one of the most heartbreaking moments in Oregon's history. In 1877, the Nez Perce were forced out of the Wallowa Valley.
1: After the military forced the Nez Perce out, they set out for a small reservation in Idaho. The hope, again, was to avoid war, but it wasn't to be. During the journey, a small band of warriors raided a settlement and killed several settlers. The incident ignited real warfare. The US Army began to pursue the roughly 800 Nez Perce, including women, children, elderly members of the tribe, across Idaho and into Montana. They fought back, and using advanced military maneuvers and strategy, the group's 200 warriors held off the army in a number of battles.
0: In a strange twist, the press reported on this as a real underdog story, and they turned Chief Joseph into kind of a hero. They compared him to Napoleon as this military mastermind. Even back then, I think Americans really saw an injustice taking place. The New York Times even wrote an editorial against the war against the Nez Pierce saying it was nothing short of a gigantic blunder in a crime. Ironically, Joseph wasn't really considered a war chief by his people, but the narrative took hold. The entire thing was capped off when the Nez Perce were finally forced to surrender, and Chief Joseph made his famous speech that ended with, From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever.
1: He really did become an iconic figure, and he tried to use that fame to lobby politicians in Washington, D.C. to allow his people to return to their homeland but it never happened. Joseph died in 1904, still not having been allowed to return to his home. Most accounts credit his doctor with saying the chief had died of a broken heart.
0: It's good to remember that, look, this is a great place to travel, it's a beautiful area, and this podcast is primarily about all the cool things you can do out here. But the history is a big part of the story, and it's worth knowing. There's a couple different museums and historical markers, like the grave of Joseph the Elder, that are worth visiting to gain a greater appreciation of this story. All right, let's get back to the travel side of the podcast and talk about the town that's named for Chief Joseph, the town of Joseph itself. It's a really beautiful little town of shops and restaurants right at the base of the mountains. So to give you a visual, you'll have all these great moments when you're just, like, sitting outside a restaurant. You look up, and you're like, whoa, hey, there's a 9,000-foot mountain, like, (laughs) right overhead. It's kind of striking.
1: Yeah, one of the really cool things about Joseph is that it offers this dynamic where you're really close to the mountains and wilderness, but the town features a lot of great culture, food, and even art. It's great for families because it has a diversity that if they're not really into the hiking and fishing, you can just head on over to an art gallery.
0: Yeah, the art scene is kind of unexpected in this small, rural mountain town that's surrounded by, you know, primarily farmland and and ranching. But there's a whole bunch of art galleries downtown that you can go into and check out. Bronze work is kind of the local specialty. And there's a few places where if you walk in, they'll actually show you how they create their works. It's this friendly, laid-back atmosphere.
1: Yeah, really the public murals and the strong art scene kind of remind me of Silverton, where the whole community came together and really placed a priority on, on art.
0: And you'll see evidence of that around town, you know, big, you know, bronze sculptures of, of eagles, you know, the murals that you talked about. It's just very scenic and it really adds to the whole atmosphere there.
1: Yeah, and given that actually, you know, this is way out on the east side of the state, there's not really a lot of light pollution. So the area is really big with stargazers. You can head a little bit outside of town and take in, you know, stars that if you've lived in a city your whole life, you've never seen before.
0: And it's crazy too cuz you're in a town, but you know, everything shuts off. So you look above and the sky is just, you know, it just it's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the food scene is actually really strong here too. Lots of places to choose from. What are some of your favorites?
0: Yeah, so lots of good restaurants in Joseph. And I mean, so good, I kind of have to pick a different one for each meal. So for breakfast, Red Horse Coffee Traders right in downtown Joseph is my favorite. The reason is they have breakfast burritos that will actually save your life. (laughs) Like if you're on the verge of death, really not feeling good, just go out to Joseph, have a breakfast burrito, and you'll be revived.
1: What about lunch? I'm going to pick
0: kind of a good all-purpose place for lunch. I'm going to pick Old Town Cafe, again in downtown Joseph. And it just comes strong for every meal. So they do a good breakfast and a really good lunch too. Great all-purpose. For dinner, I'm going to head over to Terminal Gravity Brewery. And that's actually in the town of Enterprise. So it's a five or 10 minute drive from Joseph. The thing that I love about it so much is there's an outdoor lawn where you can kind of sip all these wonderful micro brews. They have pretty good pub fare. And so A lot of times I'm visiting after a long and difficult trip into the Eagle Cap. So you come here, you're sitting outside, dripping, you know, sipping beer, having good food. I've just felt really good about life every time I've been here.
1: All right, well, we've spent a lot of time talking about the high peaks of the Walawas. And in most cases, it takes a lot of work to reach their summits, but that's not the case for the next place we're gonna talk about. Yeah, like you said, the mountain summits here require an
0: exhausting march up an always steep trail. The sole exception to that rule is 8,000-foot Mount Howard, and that's because you can take the Wallawa Lake Tramway all the way to the top. It zips you up there in about 15 minutes. Pretty pricey at around $35 per person, so for a family of four, yeah, you're you're shelling out some serious money, but given that your only other option is the aforementioned Exhausting March, I mean, it's kind of what you got.
1: So what do you do at the top? Is there some hiking trails? What's going on up there?
0: Well, there's the things that you would expect, like great hiking trails, big sweeping mountain views, but believe it or not, there is a fancy restaurant at the top. It's called the Summit Grill, and you can enjoy some pretty good food there. They feature a sausage plate, clam chowder, or blueberry cobbler. So it sounds (laughs) real fancy. Again, pretty expensive, but if you're willing to shell out all that money to get to the top, might as well do it for food. Just
1: splash out.
0: Just go all out.
1: (laughs) It sounds pretty good. Uh, What else is going on?
0: Well, if you're so inclined, you can get married at the top. They actually do weddings right on the top of the mountain where they whisk all your guests up in the, in the tramway in their <laughs> fancy dresses, and, and you can do that. It's not too expensive. I talked to the guy about it, and he said they're actually it doesn't require like a decades-long reservation or anything like that. So looking for an interesting place to get hitched,
1: Mount Howard. Sounds pretty notable. Yeah. All right, for our final trip, let's talk about the very best of the best. What are your suggestions for getting the most out of the Wallawas?
0: All right, so for our final two picks, I want to dive back into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and highlight my two favorite places. And they make a nice contrast because one's a little easier and the other is very difficult but might be the best backpacking experience in Oregon. First, David, though, I would like to talk about something close to my heart, and that is good food and whiskey.
1: Color me a little skeptical. What about it? So I have a tradition.
0: And every time I do an Eagle Cap trip, I arrive in Joseph. And the first thing I do is go to Red Horse for that aforementioned breakfast burrito. Cause you know, feeling a little Noah, I, I need to I need to power up with the breakfast burrito. The next thing I do is I head over a place called Stein Distillery. It's a nice little local spot right downtown, good tasting room, and it has the best whiskey I've ever had in my life by far. I usually get
1: the rye whiskey and
0: man, it's so good.
1: So it doesn't seem like a great idea, sort of combining whiskey with trips into the wilderness. This might end badly.
0: No, see, there's actually kind of a trick that I've developed. I'm certainly not the only one to come up with this, but the trick is to just fill a small plastic bottle with whiskey so that you're sort of limiting the amount that you can actually drink. And the idea is to bring enough so that at the end of the evening, sitting around the campfire, sore and tired, you've got enough to get a nice little mellow on, but... Not so much that you challenge a mountain goat to a duel with pistols.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the drinking moderation seems especially important when you're surrounded by wild animals.
0: I mean, it's important anytime you're in the backcountry. Any number of terrible things can happen if you're hammered and in the high country. True.
1: All right, let's go ahead and get back to talking about those backpacking trips.
0: Right. So, um, okay. Two favorite backpacking trips into the Eagle Cap.
1: So let's start with a family-friendly one. That's Hurricane Creek Trail. What's going on there?
0: Yeah, Hurricane Creek Trail, right? So the noteworthy thing here is that it's not steep. And that might not sound amazing or spectacular, but... Trust me when I tell you that just about all the other major trails start to feel like a Stairmaster <laughs> after, after a while. Hurricane Creek, on the other hand, it's a short drive from Enterprise and Joseph, and it offers a nice, flat, classic six-mile out-and-back hike. It takes you along the creek past big waterfalls, really great mountain views, uh, including the previously mentioned Matterhorn. And there's nice little creekside camping spots, so good place to go with kids.
1: So what's up with the name? Was there somehow this strange inland hurricane in the (laughs) Willala Mountains?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's an odd name for it for sure. It actually came from the pioneers who came up here. Originally, they came into this valley and found a bunch of broken trees. And being pioneers, I guess, they thought that it came from a violent windstorm. Of course, the actual reason it happened was avalanches that get funneled down through the valley and knock down a bunch of the trees. It's kind of nice because it really opens up views of mountains like the Matterhorn, but yeah, no inland uh, hurricanes occurred here.
1: All right. Throw us something a little more challenging. What are you picking as your top adventure in the Eagle Cap?
0: Okay. So it's kind of an uninspiring name, but stay with me. The top trip out here is called the Lakes Basin. It doesn't light up the imagination, but honestly, it might be the most beautiful backpacking trip in Oregon. The price of admission, very high. We're talking a loop of 30 miles and 4,000 feet of climb. So probably four to five days for most people.
1: All right. Well, give us the gory details.
0: It starts out at Wallawa Lake Trailhead, and then it proceeds nine miles. So nine dusty, mostly unspectacular miles. That's the That's the price you have to pay. But once you get there... Wow, I mean, you come into this lake's basin and emerald lakes surrounded by silver limestone cliffs are everywhere, waterfalls dropping in, wildflowers. It's basically, I guess, utopia. Glacier Lake is the most famous of the lakes and for good reason. I'm not gonna try to paint a picture for you here. Just do a Google search or better yet, go there yourself. The entire thing, really difficult. So keep that in mind. There's a few river crossings that can be dangerous. There's confusing junctions. You wanna be an experienced backpacker know how to do navigation, have a warm sleeping bag. When I came here, I actually came in the fall. Great idea because less people. Really, really cold at night, like down to 20, 15, 10 degrees. It will snow on people this time of year when you're up there. So make sure your game's on point.
1: All right. Well, that's about all the time we have here on the Explore Oregon podcast. We hope we sort of stoked your imagination for a trip out to the Wallawas. It's a great place, probably underutilized among other Oregon destinations.
0: Yeah, I would say that it is. I mean, it's, it's out there and people know about it. It's on the radar, but it's so far from any big cities that if you want to get lost in the mountains,
1: allow Mountains, way to go. All right. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts and Google Play Store and go ahead and check us out at com slash explore. Thanks for listening.